Welcome to Locked On 49ers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode of Locked On 49ers is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, remarkably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Brian Peacock here with you on this Monday edition, a special guest, Ben Solak. He, yes, he covers the Eagles. He also covers the NFL Draft right here on the Locked On Podcast Network and at thedraftnetwork.com. Recently wrote a couple of articles, though, concerning 49ers players. One, was talking about the Eagles, whether or not to trade for someone like Raheem Mostert, who might be on the market. So I'm interested to hear from that point of view, what a team would be thinking if they were to call the 49ers about their running back. And an extremely complimentary article about 49ers linebacker Fred Warner. We'll talk with Ben about what makes Fred Warner so good and why he's still being slept on nationally. Thanks as always to everybody who is subscribing and rating and reviewing and hitting me up on Twitter at BD Peacock. We will hit some mailbag on Tuesday's episode and probably hit a few again with Nick on Wednesday. Yes, we're getting back to a winky Wednesday after last week's NFC West crossover series that I hope you enjoyed. It was a lot of fun for me. And we'll talk about them. some rookies that are showing up at training camps. It's supposed to open. Will the league and NFLPA get together and, and make sure that that does happen? We'll see. We'll have all of that covered this week on Locked On 49ers. But now, let's bring on today's guest. Joining me today is Ben Solak. He is right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, the host, the co-host of Locked On NFL Draft. You can find him at the Kist and Solak Show as well, talking Eagles, part of the SB Nation Network. Always fun to talk to the wonderkind Benjamin Solak, one of the smartest dudes around covering the draft and the hey. NFL, in my opinion. So thanks for joining the show, Ben. Sure. How long How long are you allowed to be a wonderkind? And also, was I ever one? But <laughs> does that? I'm 23 and married now, so I don't know how oh, much longer I get to claim it. That's like you're 10 years ahead of when I got married, just about. So like that's why yeah. that's why you're that because you think, oh man, I waited all the way until I was 23 to get married. You're like so far ahead of the game, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll always be the kid on staff. I think we could we could be doing this thing for the next 15, 20 years. I'll be in my 40s, <laughs> and they'll be like, oh Ben's so young, but that's just the way that it is, man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when I was 23, like my life could not have been more different than it is right now. And I, I didn't think I would be, well, first of all, podcasting didn't exist. Um, and then eventually it kind of started to when I was in college and I actually had to teach one of my professors or teach the class really because they're like, hey, what's this podcasting thing? And I was doing a college radio show um, in the mid 2000s. And it was like, well, I don't, the, the, the professor's like, I don't really know what podcasting is. So why don't you get a group together? Because you guys are actually podcasting with your a college radio show at San Francisco State and teach the class about podcasting. So I literally taught the class on podcasting and that's how long I've been uh, doing some podcasting for a very long time. So uh, and and that was after I was 23 years old. So yeah, this industry didn't even exist then. So you're you're way way ahead. So yes, I, I think you're a wonderkind and you're just smarter than I was at 23. And, and now today. Kind of you to say extremely lies and I don't mind it at all. This is one of the reasons I know you're extremely smart. You wrote an article recently for thedraftnetwork.com. Fantastic stuff being done, by the way, at draftnetwork.com year-round covering the draft, but you uh, dipping into some NFL veterans. This is the first sentence of your article about 49ers linebacker Fred Warner, and it's how I knew I needed to have you on the show. You said this, quote, Fred Warner was the most impactful linebacker in the NFL in 2019, period. That is how you started this article and I think that is music to 49ers fans' ears who believe Fred Warner is one of the most underrated 
players in the NFL doesn't really get nationally the attention that maybe he deserves. Do you agree with that sense? Oh yeah, no, we're going to, I gave him a little bit of like a Bobby Wagner comp, not necessarily in how they play. The Wagner has always been historically like really good in coverage, but uh, in the sense that Wagner came out really good linebacker class, right? Keekly Hightower and was playing great for Seattle, never played poorly, but just nobody really knew the name, you know, and he was on that, that uh, Seattle defense. Oh, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman. And then all of a sudden we look back and we go, well, hot dang, this might be the best linebacker out of this group when it's all said and done. You know, we kind of missed that there in the 2010s. Well, Fred Warner, third round pick. Quan Alexander gets 80 million. You got Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead into Forrest Buckner. Meanwhile, this might be the best player on the defense. <laughs> and, you know, we, we, we get so tethered into draft capital indicating rookie contract success, right? So when Leighton Vanderash is good, we go nuts because Leighton Vanderash played his way into being a top 25, top 20 pick. I can't remember. I think it was 19. Uh, yeah, Warner has never had a worse season, has never had a, a worse season than Vanderash. Hasn't happened yet. But he's a third round pick and nobody knew his name out of BYU the way they knew this huge kid out of Boise with a neck roll, right? And so it's just not <laughs> the same sexiness, not the same pre-draft hoopla. And so it doesn't get acknowledged until far later. But man, I mean, like, if you're starting a franchise, I'm not sure there's a linebacker in the league I'm taking before Fred Warner. This is, I mean, now Keithley's retired. I mean, forget it. Like, it, it's the the stuff he's been able to do in year two is ridiculous, and it's very upsetting, and it pisses me off. And it's sometimes players are so good that you're just mad, and that's where I am with Fred Warner. Like, I watched that <laughs> film, and I was just angry afterwards. He's just playing out of his mind, and nobody's talking about it. Yeah, uh, I. I remember pre-draft, and I, I didn't know exactly how to feel about Fred Warner, and I understand why he went in the third round and not the first round, just because he was a little bit linear, a slimmer guy, uh, played this weird overhang, almost like a safety position, a hybrid linebacker position at BYU. He was only 229 pounds, I think, at the combine, and even though he was really athletic and there was a lot to like, and I liked him a lot. I wasn't sure exactly how he was going to fit in. I thought he'd be like mm -hmm. a classic Will linebacker who'd be able to cover and run and hit, but you know, you wouldn't want him taking on blocks or anything like that. Day one, they decided, you know what, let's put Reuben Foster at weak side linebacker. Fred Warner's smart. Let's put the green dot on his helmet. Let's call the plays into him and have him re uh, relay those plays in and play middle linebacker from day one. I didn't see that coming, and I didn't see the growth happening right. as fast at that particular position as well. So that's what really shocked me about Fred Warner. I knew all the athleticism and stuff, but that's what's been um, really impressive about Warner is everything that's going on above the shoulders. Yeah, when you watch when you watch like first half of the season to second half of the season, uh, I I read as I was going through the film study that, you know, they gave him the green dot, but they were doing so much adjusting on the defensive back end because Robert Sala uh, coming out of the Seattle defense was so entrenched in we're cover one, cover three, and we're, you know, under front, we're getting five down, we got our, our five tech, whatever. They moved away from that this past year because of the deficiencies, because of the weaknesses that exist in that defense. It was credited with so much success in Seattle and rightfully so, but they also had a guy named Cam Chancellor and a guy named Earl Thomas. You may have heard of them, but kind of good. And without those dudes, it's a lot harder to run that scheme successfully. And so Sela starts to step away from this scheme. And in doing so, they ran a lot more too high stuff. They ran a ton of quarters. They blitzed more. They had, you know, Quarterset came in, the defensive line coach, and they're running 
wide nine, four down, one gap, and we're going to go get after the quarterback. So we're fundamentally changing the approach on defense. And what ended up happening was they they put so much mentally on Warner pre-snap to get guys into the right looks because they were trying to help everybody, you know, kind of get into this new system, get into a new scheme that was a lot more adaptive, right? The Seattle cover three is is – aggressive it's on the offense it's we're going to dictate what the defense does or we're going to dictate what the offense does excuse me uh this different approach this Sela 2019 Niners approach was a bit more reactive it adjusted a bit more and so there was a lot on Warner and by the middle of the season they actually ended up taking calls checks and responsibilities away from him because he was just spending so much time thinking that he was a little bit behind in the play like he wasn't mentally ready right at the snap because he had so much stuff to check and when you talk about a player 230, 6'3", at a BYU, basically playing a safety role. Like, if that alignment, that depth, that, you know, how he'd relate to number three, how he'd play over trips, we would call that a safety in the NFL. He was doing that for BYU, and we called him a linebacker. Now, they, they would get him on the line of scrimmage. They would get him in the box, but he was playing so much eight yards off the ball. That player coming out, you don't think is going to be able to sit and become a Mike linebacker four or five yards off the ball and play among the trees. And the reality with Warner was that there were issues with that. And the only way that you can get a player to be successful in that mold, in that role, is if you let him play extremely fast. Because Warner is not bigger than guards. He is not stronger than centers. He is not more physical than – he's probably more physical than tight ends. pretty physical. But that's going to be the weakness for a player of that mold. Well – they took mental responsibilities off him. They said, you see it at the snap and go, fire, shoot. We want you to play as fast as everybody else is. And that's when the kid really got unlocked. I mean, he was an uh, NFC Defensive Player of the Month in November, I think it was, because he was just a hair on fire. I mean, he would trigger on anything. And, yeah, that gets you into trouble sometimes. But also, you know, when you've got a stifling run defense, unbelievable play action recognition, and then tremendous coverage and things the way that Warner does. I mean, he gets away with everything because he has eyes in the back of his head. He, he can so aggressive coming to the line of scrimmage and then bail underneath pre, uh, play action, bail underneath crossers and be right every single time. Why wouldn't you let the player do that? It's not a skill you can teach and it's extremely valuable. So it, it, they, they let him play so fast and that's what helps uh, you know alleviate those issues of having a guy who's not the ideal density, he's not the ideal strength, at your Mike linebacker spot. You know, I really like heaping praise on Fred Warner. Let's keep it going a little bit. Coming up, I want to talk Raheem Mostert, what a trade could potentially look like, and if or why or why not a trade for Mostert to say the Eagles or any other team in the NFL could or could not happen. And a look at what the 49ers are up against in the NFC coming up with Ben Solak. If you're looking for auto parts, an amazing selection, easy to navigate website, reliably low prices, You don't need to look any further than rockauto.com. Whatever you need, brake parts, engine parts, you need a tailgate like our colleague Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints. His tailgate off his truck was stolen. He went to rockauto.com, found a replacement, repaired his tailgate for his pickup truck. Classic cars, your daily driver, everything you need for your car or truck at rockauto.com. They're a family-owned business, been around for 20 years, helping you find parts online at rockauto.com. No different price structures for mechanics or do-it-yourselfers. Reliably low prices. Right locked on in the box so they know we sent you. Go fix up that old car. Keep your new car running. Go to rockauto.com. All the parts your car or truck could ever need. When it comes to Fred Warner, 
it's pretty amazing to watch him in coverage too. And I think that is the strength. And obviously when, when he was playing a little bit of that strong safety role, you would think with his athleticism that that would be a strength in the NFL and a very modern day linebacker. How good of a coverage linebacker is he though? When you compare him to the rest of the league, is he at the very, very top? Is he in a top group with a few other guys? The the play that stands out to me, and I can't remember if you um, put this gif in uh, in the article or, or, or saw you put it on Twitter. I've seen it a bunch of times, but I was reminded about it this offseason recently. And it was the play where he is in coverage in a deep zone and he, he, he kind of gets lost, but then he he does a speed turn to recover back around to cut in front of this receiver that's crossing over the middle of the field to make the play. And that was the play that is just like, wow, yeah. not very many linebackers Marquise can Brown. do that. Yes, there you go. Well, Marquise Brown against the Ravens. And I had a lot of Ravens fans telling me Marquise Brown a foot injury. And I'll tell you, I don't give a who. That's Marquise Brown. <laughs> Marquise Brown with a foot injury. Shouldn't, Marquise Brown with one foot, period, shouldn't be covered by a linebacker. This is first round pick speedster wide receiver oklahoma hollywood home play home run threat nonsense this is fred warren's a linebacker you can have no feet you shouldn't be able to cover him so yeah that 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 play tells you the the degree to which warner's just doing this because he knows how right not a drill in the book that teaches a linebacker how to speed turn and man coverage when we talk about speed turn uh, Fred Warner had his shoulders and his hips facing Hollywood Brown, and then Brown cut behind him. And so Brown went to, to Warner's back. And Warner, in rhythm, maintaining velocity, this is what the speed turn does, turned his back to Brown. So as Brown cut behind him, Warner turned around in the same direction, realigned himself relative to Brown, saw Lamar Jackson throwing the football, immediately closed and made the pass break up on a generally accurate pass. It's it, it, Good press corner struggle to speed turn, which is where we typically see it. Good free safeties struggle to speed turn, which is where we typically see it. Fred Warner's out here playing Mike Linebacker. It's not regular. He did it uh, against uh, uh, Traquan Smith and Saints as well on an underneath crosser. Play action. He was, all right, I'll just throw a speed turn, close, pass break up. Drew Brees was like shocked because people don't do this, right? So he's he's playing extremely free and extremely fast. Some of that is afforded to him by the scheme. You put him in a different defense, he wouldn't be able to do that. But that's the reality of all elite players. They're in defenses that really calibrate to their, their skill set. So to answer your, your initial question, I said he was the most impactful linebacker in 2019. And, and if you're going to be an impactful linebacker in this era of football, it's because you're good in coverage. Uh, so to me, the list goes Fred Warner, Eric Kendricks, KJ Wright, Bobby Wagner. That's tier one. I don't think Fred Warner was three or four. Uh, so so we're, we're talking about top two if, uh, if I'm being – you know, as level-headed as I can be. Um, but, man, I I don't see how Warner playing the way that he did this past season is anything less than a top-tier coverage linebacker for at least the next, you know, two, three years. If Sayla's still there, then, yeah, for as long as Sayla's there, I don't see – Warner's not going to drop off. This is not situational play. This was not happenstance. I mean, this is a kid just extremely gifted in this particular area. Coverage in underneath zones as a linebacker. He's just special. And that's not going to go away for as long as he's in the same defense, reading the same keys. That's going to stick. So if Warner's not the best covers linebacker now, I mean, he's going to be the best covers linebacker in a couple of years. So we've been gushing about Fred Warner. And you guys can go read the whole piece at thedraftnetwork.com. Are there any warts in Fred Warner's game? Where do you see that he could even improve and, and continue to grow as a linebacker in the NFL? Yeah, so like I said, play super aggressive, right? He's, he's fast to flow, and that means that at times he will run himself out of place. Now, as I said earlier again, I'll say, I'll say it here now, 
nose for play action is unbelievable, right? And so his his ability to acknowledge and recognize when, all right, this looks like run action, but I don't buy it, whether it's down in distance, whether it's play calling tendency, or whether it's just he feels something in his spider brain, right? Just that little, you know, sixth sense of this doesn't smell right. He's so good at acknowledging play action that even when he plays fast to flow, aggressive into line of scrimmage, he's bailing faster than everybody else as well. And he's got the athleticism to get back into coverage and, and not be, you know, outmeasured, not be put in a bad spot. So he is an aggressive linebacker, but that play style translates to the defense. And even though it gets him in trouble at times, it also helps him a lot and doesn't get him in trouble nearly as much as it does other linebackers with a similar play style. That's one. Two, because of his density, which isn't great, you know, when you're a, a 230-pound linebacker, you're probably not the biggest dude in general. And he's 6'3". It's not like six foot six one, right? So he's lanky. Uh, he's a little lean. He's not the best tackler on the face of the planet. He will melt off tackles at times, you know what I mean? And, like, I'm not going to be out here criticizing him for missing a tackle on Kyler Murray in space. Like, again, you know, this is you miss tackles on Kyler Murray. It's what happens. That's who Kyler Murray is. Um, but there are times where in space he's too aggressive into contact. He doesn't break down. There's times uh, among the trees against the big big running backs against power runs where he melts off of contact a little bit. He just doesn't have a ton of stopping power. Uh he has good natural leverage. He'll drop his 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 um his, his hips. He'll drop his shoulders, and he'll he'll hit you the way he's supposed to. But he just doesn't have stopping power the way that you you see in other top linebackers. And so there's tackling issues. There's times where yeah, he's got to take a block on head on, and he doesn't maintain the gap as well as you'd like to see. But that's okay. You know what I mean? And and especially if we're talking about him playing with Dre Greenlaw long term. I mean, Greenlaw is a hammer and a half, right? I mean, that kid will knock your teeth out, and so you're going to have a nice dichotomy there where if Greenlaw is playing on the strong side and Warner's playing on the weak side for you and you know, two linebacker sets, Greenlaw is going to primarily be the one who has to take on contact. So you're going to be just fine in that regard. So he's got, as every player does, things that aren't his, his ideal strength. But at the same time, for, for a year or two player, not a lot to complain about, man. <laughs> really good player. Yeah, that's the hope for the 49ers long term. A couple of ex-college safeties in Warner and Dre Greenlaw playing next to each other for a very long time. If it wasn't already obvious, Ben puts a ton of time in watching the tape, watching that film. And uh, you wrote something for SB Nation recently when, it's, it's, I think surprised a lot of people. I don't know how you, surprised you were to hear that the 49ers leading rusher last year in Raheem Mostert requested a trade out of the blue. To, mm-hmm. to request a trade out of the Shanahan running game uh, is not a common thing. And then you wrote an article, it's kind of like you spitballing, well, let's see, yeah, let's trade for Raheem Mostert. Ah, maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it'd be fun, though, let's do it. Ah, but then we got to give him some more money. And I thought it was interesting just because I'm sure a lot of people, when they heard that, were like, okay, yeah, let's trade for Raheem Mostert. I mean, the dude yeah. was the fastest linebacker the in the same thing for Jamal year. Adams, where I was like, let's trade for him, but maybe not. We definitely shouldn't, <laughs> but I'd like to. Yeah, and I think for the same reason, neither one of those two guys gets traded because there's no uh, impetus on the team that currently has them to trade them, right? There's nothing forcing them to do anything because they're still under contract for a couple more years. And I don't think other teams are going to come with what you would be asking because you have to pay quite a bit to buy either one of those players, obviously a lot more in the case of Jamal Adams. But when it comes to Raheem Mostert, did you you go back to the tape a little bit really quick to see, okay, well, what did he look like in 2019 for the 49ers? And... What do you think it would look like in a trade if the 49ers were taking phone calls for Raheem Mostert? 
Yeah, a tricky spot, right? I respect Mostert as agent. Uh, is he France? Is he Todd France? No, he's not. He's somebody else. Uh, anyway, that's Brett Tesler. Yeah, Tesla. That's who it is. Um, I respect uh, Tesla and Mostert a lot for saying, "Listen, yes, Kyle Shanahan running backs can kind of be cycled in and out and and, and still produce." But Mostert had one of the best stretches of a Shanahan running back in recent memory. Uh, Matt Breida is gone. Tevin Coleman's banged up all the time. Jarek McKinnon's banged up all the time. We'd like to get paid like the best running back on this roster because we just were the best running back on this roster. That's a fair ask. And by the you know, other side of that sword, other side of that coin, it's a fair ask for the the 49ers to say, you know, we're we're pretty good at getting running backs to be successful over here. You know, we got undrafted free agents and Jamichael Hasty and and uh, Salvin Ahmed, we, we probably could get a thousand yards out of those two if we needed to. You know, like that's just kind of how Kyle Shanahan rolls. So it's also fair of them to say, you know, we're we're um, you know we're not going to meet you there. So then they go to demand the trade, which is saying that they're serious and appropriately so. But it's very tough for a team in the NFL to look at Raheem Mostert and say we can get even equivalent production out of that guy that Kyle Shanahan got. So unless you are Kevin Stefanski and you're doing exactly what Shanahan's trying to do in the running game, then you're not uh, – most of it's not going to be a perfect scheme fit for you because the outside zone is right now what he's definitely going to be best at. And also, you know, nobody really wants to give most of the lion's share of the carries. Uh, San Francisco kind of ended up there with injury and with riding the hot hands. But you're not going to drop most on any NFL depth chart and have him be clear running back one. Maybe on a few he's running back 1A. But, like, you know, Stefanski's got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You know, Matt LaFleur's got Aaron Jones and, and A.J. Dillon. They's, they're pretty set in terms of their at least their running back one. And so, you know, when you look at Philadelphia, all right, they've got Miles Sanders as their running back one. And they're maybe trying to do more wide zone stuff, but it's definitely not already built in. And so it's tough to find the landing spot that's better for Mostert than the one that he is trying to leave. And that's what makes it really tricky. Uh, for for figuring out how he gets out of San Francisco, teams for for a rotational running back aren't offering more than a day three pick. Uh, and really, for if you're San Francisco, you don't need to go ta- chasing that and putting your running back room at risk. When reality is, Mostert's probably going to report to camp and play for you if you see this thing out. And so he's in Mostert's in a tough spot, but he's also in that tough spot because. I mean, he produced really really well, and it's good to see because he's been bouncing around the league for so long. It's nice to see him find a spot, make a home, and, and get some good games out there. Go there, do it for another season, continue to push the issue, push the envelope, and eventually somebody will pay you and try to make you their uh, their primary guy. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's like, look, man, I, and I would love to see Raheem Mostert get 200-plus carries for the 49ers next year, and if he does, that means he's going to make more money in the long run anyway. So it's a little short-sighted, I think. Go do it for one more year, prove that there's some consistency there, that you can handle some carries, and then I think you'll end up making even more money, and the 49ers will be in a better position where – Jarek McKinnon's coming off the books. They can get rid of Tevin Coleman and then give, you know, Raheem Mostert what he deserves and he can actually be that guy. And then they can filter in those undrafted running backs basically behind them. And and by the way, there's a huge uh, there's a huge group of fans already for both of those undrafted running backs, especially Jamaica. Hasty Hasty. is my guy. Hasty Hasty has a lot of fans right now with that short area burst. That would be fun. And and I'm with you. And I think that's one place the 49ers need to start saving a bunch of money is at the running back position. So, um, yeah, when a couple come off the books this year, maybe they can give Raheem Mostert a little bit and that can be their guy and filter in some cheap young players in behind him on the depth chart. More with Ben Solak. I want to pick your brain, Ben, on maybe some prospects to look for in the 2021 draft, since that is one of your many specialties. 
And who might be the 49ers' biggest competition in the NFC? Might it be those Philadelphia Eagles coming up? I want to talk really quick about the NFC because you obviously watch the NFC East a lot closer than I do, and I think the NFC West is the best division of football. I think they've gotten even better because the, the floor is raising there with the Arizona Cardinals, and, and three teams last year had a better record than any team in the NFC East. Where are the Eagles right now? Uh, how worried are you about how good the Cowboys can be, and, and who do you think is tops in the NFC? Obviously, I think uh, the Saints have one of the best rosters top to bottom in the NFL, the Bucks added Tom Brady. It's, it's, I mean, it's going to be a juggernaut in the NFC. How do you see this thing playing out? There's not a clear two, right? The way you got Baltimore, Kansas City, and then the rest kind of in the AFC. Um, I'm not fully buying Tampa. I'll, this is a believe it when I'll see it situation okay. for me. A lot of ways that team ends up good. A lot of ways that team ends up bad. So we're just going to kind of sit and chill and you know, hope the offensive line is good and all those young corners take the step forward that we need. New Orleans, yeah, I mean, this is our fourth consecutive season of saying that they have one of the best rosters in the NFL. Uh, the big, big, big addition is Emmanuel Sanders. This is the best wide receiver, too, we've gotten since we drafted Michael Thomas. Uh, and that's going to matter a lot in terms of dictating coverage late in those seasons. You know what I mean? Like Michael Thomas ripping on the Chicago Bears in Week 12 is fun. But I need, you know, if I'm meeting Green mm -hmm. Bay – in the NFC Championship game, and they got Jair Alexander. I need somebody who can go beat up that corner too, while Thomas has his hands full with an elite cover corner, and and that's something they haven't had previously, and now they have in Sanders. So that's really exciting. That offensive line so good, the defense so underrated. So I like New Orleans a lot. The NFC West is ridiculous, and I think the Niners win the division, and I think the Rams are last in the division, and I. Don't want to answer the Seattle-Arizona question, and I could be wrong on all four anyway, right? It's going to be <laughs> tough. There's going to be dumb games that are lost and won in that division the way there always are. There's going to be a weird Seattle-LA uh, game on Thursday night the way there always is, and it's going to be, I think, a, a pretty nutty finish. I think, you know, I, I think San Francisco takes a step back in the win-loss column just because of regression, and I do think that Arizona and Seattle are, are clear playoff caliber teams, so it's going to come down to the wire there. It hurts me, but in the NFC, Dallas is the better team right now. Uh, and there's there's ways mm. Philadelphia can pass them. A lot of stuff has to come together for that to happen. Dallas, however, offensively is just armed to the teeth. They're going to have to win games by scoring at least 30 because that defense, especially if they have to start those young corners, Trevon Diggs, Reggie Roberson, that defense is going to give up some points. Uh, and they might have to win more shootouts than you'd like to see from a playoff team. But – the Phillies secondary ain't that much better for being honest. And the offense is relying on Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, and Jalen Rager instead of knowing that they've got Amari Cooper and, and uh, Michael Gallup there to really power that passing attack. So for Philly, it, Philly I think is a playoff caliber team. Dealing with the Brandon Brooks injury is going to hurt, but I think that they've got enough veteran starters that they're going to be all right. I don't see them pushing Dallas unless, man, somebody steps up uh, at corner and at safety in the secondary linebacker too is a problem if we're being honest and then that wide receiver room has got to go from zero to hero really fast so I think Dallas is going to be the better team there New Orleans to me still remains the best team in the NFC though it's going to be a fun one yeah um, the 49ers have their work cut out for them in the NFC West and the rest of the NFC once they get past the NFC West if they do are you surprised? You mentioned the, the Eagles really quick. I want to ask you about this. It, we're seeing a lot of teams. Philadelphia just added speed, speed, speed at wide receiver this offseason. Obviously, it was a huge need for them anyway, but we saw it in uh, in Denver. We're seeing uh, in and staying in the AFC West, the Raiders, too. 
are we seeing a shift with teams saying like watching what the Chiefs are doing? Like, dude, you know what? Let's stop trying to cover people. Let's just put speed on the field and try to score more points. Is, is that the era of NFL football we're in now? Uh, yes and no. You know what I mean? The reality of it is this. If you don't think that your team can win a shootout, you're not making it through the playoffs, right? Because eventually you're gonna, your defense can be about as good as you want it to be. They're going to give up 30 at some point, right? You're going to – too many good offenses – too difficult to play defense in this era, you know, the way the penalties are called and the way that, that the ball is thrown around the yard. Your best defense in the NFL, eventually you're going to give up 30. And if you don't have an offense you think can win that game, then you're screwed, right? It's eventually coming for you and you're not going to make it to the Super Bowl because of it. So you don't need to have the best offense. You know what I mean? I mean, we're seeing a, a rushing resurgence, right? We're seeing some, some teams really build themselves off of heavy personnel and a, a unique running game and how that builds into their play action offense. So we're seeing, you know, ball getting carried and everything like that, but it's offensive innovation. That's right now rolling down the mountain, snowball down the avalanche, right? I mean, it's just picking up more and more steam with every year. So if you don't at least have an offense that can, show up against an average caliber defense and hang 30, then you're going to eventually run into a team that suffocates your four quarters. So we still invest in defense. We still invest in the running game. There's still balance always to be had, but yes, there is an impetus. There is a urgency in saying, if we don't have an offense that can take over the game, if we need them to, we will meet an opponent that we cannot beat. So that's the hunt right now is to find that offensive firepower design quarterback coaching, whatever it is that lets you have that big game that you need when you need it most. Really appreciate the time, Ben. One more quick question for you on the way out the door, since you are an NFL draft guy. And by the way, you can hear Ben daily at locked on NFL draft, read his work at the draft uh, I don't know if you've gotten to cornerbacks yet in your summer scouting series, but looking ahead a few months to the 2021 draft, are there any cornerbacks with all of the, the corners the 49ers have hitting free agency this coming off season? Are there any cornerbacks you could see the Niners drafting at say pick 32 in the 2021 draft? Yeah, I mean, pick 30. Eagles are winning the NFC Championship. It's okay. Um, no, yeah, right. Right now we're in the locked-on dra- NFL draft summer scouting series right off its of tackles. So if you're worried about Trent Williams long-term, we got you there. Uh, corners will come later in August. But the names are clear. We got Patrick Sertain's kid, which is a crazy sentence. Uh, Patrick Sertain II, who he's at Alabama. Sean Wade out of Ohio State, who played nickel for them last year because uh, Jeffrey Akuda and Damon Arnett were on the outside. But he'll kick to the outside. This season, he was considering coming out as a redshirt sophomore, having only put out nickel film because oof, he was good. <laughs> Sean Wade can play. Uh, Caleb Farley as well out of Virginia Tech, who he's a big and 6'2 with vines. Uh, that that's uh, PFF loves him because of what he does at the catch point and his ability to produce on the ball. And so if we're talking about the Akella Weatherspoon, Richard Sherman, Emmanuel Mosley mold of mm. players, Caleb Farley, is the guy that you'd be looking at. So the, the top of the class is defined. Those are the big guys. George's got a couple kids. Asante Samuel's son, also Asante Samuel Jr. is at Florida State. Paulson Adebo at Stanford. We know the, the big names, and I'm guessing it's at least three corners in the first round, given what we've seen of what the NFL values and, and what this class is popping out. Caleb Farley, the name that interests me for the Niners. I love it. Find Benjamin on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. Locked on NFL Draft, the Draft Network, SB Nation. He's all over the place. Ben, I really appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. No, of course. Thanks for having me, Brian.